Just the look of the call makes you so giddy to be an American duck hunter. Bring the beat back. Chad Belling back at you. Chad's an OG, but his call calling game ain't got nothing on me. Get him, boys. That's a duck. Hey, in this room, it's so hot in here, maybe I'll start to believe it myself. Welcome to the foul life. We merely exist in a duck's world. We train, breathe, and live by the migration. All of that goes into this crazy life of a duck hunter. We're steadfast, unwavering, the last of a breed. It is our right to hunt. I still believe it's a privilege, too. We are the foul life with Chad Velding. Proudly brought to you by Benelli, Bandit, Yukonuba, and Traeger. It's so foul, like birds and stuff. What's up, everybody? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Fired up about this one. My main man, Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats. You've heard him here before. You've seen him on episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life. He's a fellow Benelli pro with myself and our crew here at The Foul Life and Banded. And Tony works his butt off to make sure that everything's ready to roll. He's going into blue wing till season, the early till season right now in Missouri. Habitat Flats, the lodge will soon be full of anticipation. Hunters chasing the little blue wingers, waiting on those mallards to make it down here for the beginning of the late October season all the way through the winter. We talk about it all. We talk about farming, preseason prep, conservation, everything that goes in to making a successful hunt for each and every client that walks through the doors at Habitat Flat. I hope you all are ready for it. There's probably not a more knowledgeable waterfowl hunter on the circuit today than Tony Vanamore, founder, co-owner of Habitat Flats, Missouri. Probably the top two, one or two destinations for duck and goose hunters across this country. People are coming from near and far to hunt with Tony, Mark Bloss, their entire crew. I truly appreciate Tony being on the show. I appreciate y'all listening to it, the downloads, the subscriptions. Another episode, a brand new conversation with Tony Vandemore right here at the Foul Life Podcast brought to you by our friends at Benelli USA. If you're looking for the baddest ass shotgun on the market, look no further than the entire lineup of Super Black Eagle 3s, the 12, the 20, and the 28. And don't forget to deck it out in that Realtree Max 7 camouflage. Hope you all enjoy this again. It's Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats, Missouri. We're going to go to commercial break right now. We got a few words from our sponsors to pay the bills. And we're going to be right back with Tony Vandemore right here at the Foul Life Podcast. Get your waterfowl knowledge right here. People get it right here. All I did was listen to the Foul Life podcast, and now I own over a thousand mojo decoys, and I'm standing on a street corner selling my wife's jewelry to buy some jargon game calls. But I, how did I even get here? Thanks a lot, Chad Belding. Um, it's Belding? Yeah, him too. You're listening to the Foul Life with Chad Belding. Chad Belding. We'll be back when we want to be back, okay? Vision. I just had a lens retraction surgery last year. It's pretty much like cataracts that you're gonna get in your 60s, 70s, everybody's gonna get it. Once you get it, your vision is there, it's never changing. Artificial lenses, I had it at 40s and I'm telling you with what I do with duck hunting and scouting and watching my daughter grow up, I'm just so thankful that I'm back to 2015 in my right eye and 2020 in my left eye, thanks to Dr. Matt Mills, who you've all heard on our podcast. But I wanna protect my eyes and that's exactly where one of our 
badass partners comes in. Oakley, Oakley Eyewear, the Oakley culture, the Oakley lifestyle. Protect your vision when you're shooting, when you're fishing. Nothing worse than getting a hook in the eye with somebody casting on the same boat. You just can't take it for granted. The damage the sun can cause, the rays, the UV, just keeping the dust and the dirt out of your eyes. Just everything during a hunt, pit blind, boat blind, it doesn't matter, sun up. They make different lenses for different skies. They're sold all over the world and they support the military and the blue line and conservation and hunting and fishing in the outdoors and living off the land. And we never hunt without our Oakleys. Everybody's like, why you always got your sunglasses on? Shouldn't be wearing sunglasses. You probably shouldn't in turkey hunting. I don't wear them in turkey hunting because of the vision of a turkey and the reflection. But when I'm shooting trap range or the sporting clays or the skeet or the five stand, or I'm in a duck hunt or a goose hunt, I have my Oakleys with me at all time. I put them in my banded backpack. I have them in an Oakley hard case. I keep them protected. The prism, lenses, everything that goes in to the technology behind the Oakley brand and the frames, the function of them, all of the different lenses that you can get, like I mentioned, and the way they protect our eyes. The prism lens technology is second to none. You got to get a pair of Oakleys. I know there's a lot of choices out there when you want to protect your eyes, but remember, please support the brands that support this lifestyle. Oakley, the official eyewear of the Foul Life TV, the Foul Life podcast, and everything we do here at The Provider and Where the Pavement Ends. Thank you so much for supporting Oakley. The ducks have awoken. They've heard their master's call. Innovative outdoorsman and professional hunter and owner of Habitat Flats, Mr. Tony Vandemore, is joining Chad Belding on this episode of The Foul Life, and they've set the perfect landing zone. To me, it's not so much about the numbers as it is how they finish and how many there are. I don't want to shoot 150, 200, 300 singles and pairs. I'd rather kill 60 out of two bunches. I mean, I like the big spins, and I want them close. The deeks are set, and the coffee's brewing, and this Tony Van the more exclusive is brought to you in part by Bandit, Benelli, Six Hour, and Travel Wisconsin. So grab your lanyard and let's listen in as Chad is joined by Tony Vandemore. I know that Habitat Flats is really known for mallards. You guys have unbelievable Canada goose hunting there. You know, you're known, you're personally known for the snow goose stuff over the last two decades, which you guys had an amazing year, which I really want to get into today. Last year, you had an awesome spring. But these blue-winged teal, they get you as excited as anything. Is it mainly because just the dog days of summer are over and it's go time? Absolutely. I, I look forward to teal season as much as anything because, you know, it's a summer of sweating and working on the farms and just like nonstop grinding out there, working. And the eve of teal season was just tonight. I mean, there's still plenty of work left, but it's just like all of a sudden a, a big weight off my shoulders. Like, we're here. We made it. One of my favorite things, if I was in your shoes, would be riding the farms and looking for them and, and using your binoculars and looking down those little... Because I've been watching a lot of your videos, Tony, and a lot of those ponds, they're not just completely open water. There's a lot of duck groceries in there. It's kind of cool looking down a little row and seeing a bunch of them little suckers swimming around, huh? Oh, yeah, man. And, you know, that's the fun part, like... When you're setting it up in the summer, you know, the whole thing's growing solid groceries. Well, that's great, but you got to keep in mind what that place looks like from the air. Most of these little things are everything. Ducks, geese. I mean, a lot of our birds anymore migrate at night. So you got to think about what that farm looks like at night. When that moon's shining, I don't care if you've got all the food in the world. If they can't see water, they're not stopping. So I like to think of that aerial footprint when I'm mowing. And just try to open up little lanes and 
you know, little curved paths and slots and little holes. And I'm thinking of it well in my head while I'm on the track. You're like, oh, man, I bet they see they key in on this little lane and then it leads them right to this blind or it leads them to this little willow tree where we're going to be sitting under and there's a nice little hole there. And you got it all played up in your head. But then you start putting water to it. And once they start showing up, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's working. Or, you know, I want to do something different next year. You know, you're always taking mental notes. With it being September 5th or 6th, whatever it is today, when was the – what day did you see your first till this year? Man, for me personally, it was late. It was uh, 12th of August. Is that a normal time of year for them to get down here? They weren't down here. But what I've always heard is the adult males, uh, they split first. So when I say I first see them, I might see one. I might see two. And they might stop for two hours. They might stop for 10 hours. I don't know, but they're not there the next day. And typically that's the end of July, first few days of August. So this year I felt like it was a little bit behind. And that's a a good thing for me uh, personally, because the ones that we see in August, they're not here in September when we're when we're able to shoot them. The numbers are down overall, you know, through species. They're up for teal. What is your theory on why? I know they're a temperamental bird. They're a small, probably the smallest bird of the puddle duck family. What is your theory, Tony Vandemore, of why why July? And I mean, it's really really hot down here. It's still hot in Canada. Have you ever got any? information of why that early they just got to get down man no not anything scientific other than i mean i call them summer ducks i mean these these things would rather sit on a beach than than see a 49 50 degree night you know what i mean i mean you, you see upper 40s to 50 degrees in north dakota this time of year they're caught in the next morning you're gonna be covered up in but i just there's such an unbelievable bird to me because they are the last bird we see in the spring going back north. I mean, it's April, it's May during turkey season. They're still going back north. And then here it is two months later. I mean, 60, 70, 75, 80 days later, and they're coming back south. And, you know, they end up a lot of them in Central America. I mean, for crying out loud, that's a hell of a flight in a short amount of time. They're pretty cool. That's a heck of a commute. I've always heard the adult males come first once they do their breeding and, and get their flight feathers back. They're, they're rolling on to wherever it is they go. They're going to go to Mexico and have a Corona and sit on the beach. I, I don't know, but they're early, but the big numbers that from what I've seen, I used to love the first week of teal season. It was like the best, like opening day, there's gobs of them around and <clears throat> there still are, but to me, it's gotten a little bit later, just like everything. Personally, I'd rather hunt the, the second week than the first it's kind of a six and one, half dozen in the other, but on big production years like this, which our duck numbers may be down, but the hatch was through the roof. You know, North Dakota said 80% over last year. Big production years, and they produce, I'm not saying, you know, they all hatch in, in May or June. I mean, I've got friends in South Dakota as of last week that still saw ducklings too young to fly. So big production years, the ones that come a little bit later, it seems like they're waiting for those for the little ones to get strong enough to really roll and make the migration. I just think they, they come a little bit later in big production years. When you start thinking about the teal, like we were talking, you know, like 40, 50 degree night in North Dakota, and you say that you're starting to see the bigger numbers later, how long could a Missouri teal season go 
And I know that they're open during the regular season, but how long will you see teal migrate through? Can it be all the way until November, December? I bet you can probably count on two hands the number of blue wings I've seen killed during the regular season, you know, November and December. But that said, like, for example, this year, our season is September 9th to September the 24th, 16 days. We're looking really good. But there has been some years where due to snow or whatever, I believe it was snow, that the hatch was really, really late. One year, there there was hardly anything ready to fly. I mean, our teal season, no joke. I mean, you've been up here. You know how many people hunt. Went out opening day, never heard a shot. I'm like, this is insane. What, what are we doing? And never saw a bird, never heard a shot. And that went on the majority of the teal season. I mean, we ended up killing a few the second week, but it was it was not very good. And then a full two weeks after we closed, like the first week of October, there were more teal than I've ever seen. In October, huh? Yeah. Late, late hatch. Yeah, for sure. Do you start to visualize the entire process of how your days are going to start racking up? Like the excitement level of what you're getting, I get jealous of it because I don't like, I'm going to go shoot some dove tomorrow. Right. And dove are cool, but they're not teal and they eat good. I did a recipe the other night that me and you would have been proud of. Do you start to visualize the whole process for your next 16 days? Is, is it like, for example, is it teal poppers tomorrow night guaranteed around a campfire with all of your clients that have been coming there for years? Absolutely, man. This is the best time of year. Like I woke up this morning and, uh, you know, the off season, whatever. I'm not making my great big pot of coffee in the basement. You know, I just, take the the cups from upstairs in the kitchen because, you know, the kids are awake. We're going to school and all that stuff. When I got up this morning, the first thing I did was make my big pot of coffee in the basement, put the timer on for tomorrow morning. Like, I'm ready to roll, man. I can't wait. Get up every morning, go downstairs, get the thermos ready, get the coffee going, and uh, head to the lodge. It's just the the best time of year. College football is on. Doesn't get any better. Notre Dame, huh? Why Notre Dame? That's a good question, man. I think because, you know, I grew up in Illinois, and Illinois football wasn't ever anything to watch. And my family always just gravitated to Notre Dame. And we're all Catholics. And uh, ever since I was a kid, that's that's been our family school. I mean, that's who we watched. Used to go to games with my dad and uncles and grandpa when I was a little kid, watching, you know, Notre Dame and Miami Catholics versus convicts and Notre Dame-USC rivalry games and – just awesome. I love it. Were you a huge fan of Rudy, the movie? Yeah, absolutely. That movie was freaking pretty kick-ass. The Notre, Notre Dame, you know, just the the whole nostalgia about it and Lou Holtz back in the day and, and they had so much TV coverage in the stadium and it's a really, really cool story that has been told so many times and it's cool to see a team that they kind of like, as, as a guy that lives way out by me, you kind of forgot about them because they hadn't been very strong in a while, you know, and I, they've had some okay season, but now this year I'm hearing that they're going to be pretty legit. Is this true? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a diehard fan and, you know, I feel like we've been overrated. We've always lacked a really, really solid quarterback. I mean, to me, what you see in today's game, your Alabamas and Clemson's and Ohio States, I mean, you have a, Big quarterback, not necessarily like 250 pounds, but a, a bigger quarterback, but a taller one. And, you know, you got to – these linemen are so big anymore, you can't see over the line of scrimmage. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, it just seems like we've, we, Notre, Notre Dame, has always recruited 
five eight, five nine, five ten quarterbacks, and we just got to, through the transfer portal, which I'm not a fan of at all. I hate it. I think it's killing college sports. But we got Sam Hartman out at Wake Forest to set a bunch of records in the ACC. Blah blah blah. First two games, we're we're rolling. We got a quarterback now, and uh, good passing game, good run, good D. Be a fun year. Yeah, I, I agree 100 with the transport, but I have some heard. I have heard some pretty good arguments on the other side of the fence. But so teal poppers tomorrow night. Do you put cream cheese in them? Or are you the weird guy that does that, or can do you forego the the cream cheese? Tell you what, man, I do poppers with teal. I'll sometimes put some cream cheese in them, but. Uh, my favorite is Philly teal steaks. That's what you talked about on the podcast once more. So you're you're just filling a hoagie roll with bell peppers, onions, and the teal meat with some with with a different kind of yeah, cheese. Yeah, little on it. little thin sliced teal strips that you just flash fry just for a, I mean thirty seconds maybe if that that and I, I mean I still like teal smoked whole on Traeger. Love it. Oh man, did you see the thing I did the other night? No, I don't know if you saw it on. Uh, do you have your phone by you? Yeah. Go to the Foul Life TV on Instagram real quick. Check out the video that's far right on the top row. That's called an oyster bed. Oh, and yeah, I did I see that. I did see that. I smoked. I put the whole recipe on the story, but we smoked them on the Traeger at 250 degrees for eight minutes and then took those little things off. And I had that thing at 600 degrees and I ended up, you know, I, they fit perfect in that little oyster slot. That thing's called an oyster bed. And then I had baking grease that I had just finished the bacon and I just poured it over the top to get that sizzle, man, I'm telling you the flavor was unbelievable. Dude, you're making me hungry. Yeah. There's freaking, I'm telling you that oyster beds are slick, real slick. So before we get into mallards, the snow goose season last year, do you still get fired up for? I know, I know that we've had conversations in in person about. I mean, you used to chase these things hard. You you were bouncing from state to state to state. You had several different rigs, several different spreads. You're moving spreads according to the migration, according to the weather pattern, according to everything that's going on with what they're doing. Do you still do that? Do you wish you still did that? If you don't, and does it still get you as fired up? I mean, it obviously does when they they do it and you do get a good spin. But why, if you don't do it as hard as you once did, is it just because of how much work it really does take? There's a few different things. I mean, I still love to set up on a feed. You know, that first bunch that comes in the dark, that comes landing around your boot bags. I mean, that is stellar. But what I've seen the biggest change in snow goose hunting is the pressure. You know, we, we used to go to Arkansas every spring and, and we'd chase feeds every single day. And even up here in Missouri, you know, back when I was hunting with Tyson and all that with, with Avery, I mean, we hunted feeds every day. That's what you did. Well, you didn't have the pressure. And uh, I wouldn't say the geese weren't as smart. I mean, they I don't feel like they were as smart, but they were comfortable. You know, they might have had two or three, four or five days in a field before you hunted them. Now – it seems like if they hit the ground somewhere, either somebody's jumping them, which I have no problem with, you know, kill them any way you can, or somebody's hunting them the very next day. There's so much pressure to me that that I don't trust feeds anymore like I used to. I've been burned so many times to make your head spin where you go to all the work, out there at midnight, setting up decoys, licking your chops. Here they come. The roost gets up in the morning and goes the other way or they come to you and they're like, and they land 400 yards away. I don't trust them as much anymore. And our geese don't stay in stage like they used to. I mean, it's so much 
nonstop, new birds coming, birds going, new birds coming, birds going. I mean, daily. That I feel like we're best, we're better off uh, running big, big traffic spreads in in the areas, the right corridors, than we are chasing feeds. And how far do these spreads lay outside of the lodge? You have two lodges, the home lodge and the grand. Are they within a half hour each one of them, or are they further? Um, no, they're they're within a half hour each one of them. I mean, there's actually one right outside the door of each of the lodge, and uh, you know you got to pick your days. But still, to this day, the biggest day we've ever had was 250 yards out of the back door of the lodge. This last spring? No, it was it was a few years ago. Uh, I remember that day. I remember that day. How did they? How did so? How did this last this spring of 2023 play out for you? Man, it was good. It was really good. We staged them, staged them for a while. Had a lot of good hunting. <clears throat> it was a cold winter, but it uh, warmed up quick. We got them a lot earlier than normal. And then it got cold north of us and a lot of snow. So they stayed. And uh, we, we had a really, really good spring. Can you talk about best days? I know that numbers, you know, when you go to a place like Habitat Flats, you're not going to have every single day stacking them up. It's hunting. But if you happen to be there on a good day, are you still getting triple digits, hundreds, 200 birds oh, at a time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've had plenty of them. The only one that sticks out last year was, uh, a 225 and the only reason it sticks out is because we killed them in about 40 minutes and uh both my girls were with me it was a uh, victoria's first snow goose hunt and probably vivian's second they were both in the pit with us i mean they were cackling and having an absolute no way holy smokes it was cold cold but that you know to me that's that's one i won't ever forget but i don't get too wrapped up in it anymore numbers wise but i can tell you this when you get a big spin going I mean, it's just as heart pounding as anything in waterfowling. I mean, they're making that last hook and you're like, come on, stick together, stick together. And it looks like the front edge starts to pick up a little bit and then the back of them just drops out and whew, that's pretty fun. Yeah. I, I love watching your videos. I, when, when they do it, it's, it is. And it's, it, you know, you start thinking about the numbers that you can put on the ground and the, the amount of shooting that you can potentially get on a day like that. You go for a three day hunt and you get one of those days or one, you know, one day that's like 70% of what would be considered an insane day. It's just, a, people don't understand how much you can shoot. I mean, you're shooting nine, 10 rounds at every go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's a pot calling the kettle black to say that, you know, it's gotten to be, such a numbers game because I mean, I help help with that to some extent and I still like to see a big pile and a big number, but at the end of the day, I mean, nothing else is open in the spring. If you can go out there with six guys and kill 50 or 60, man, that's a freaking awesome day. Heck of a day. I mean, I, I like, to me, it's not so much about the numbers as it is how they, how they finish and how many there are. I don't want to shoot 150, 200, 300, singles and pairs i'd rather kill 60 out of two bunches i mean i like the big spins and i want them want them close are you running a dog on every snow goose hunt in the dry fields oh absolutely yeah did kai get to go out i know kai's getting a little up there but did he get to go out this spring every day he can't hear anything did you hunt almost every day of guiding oh yeah every day that's so freaking cool kai can't hear anything he's 10 and a half now and I mean, almost all my dogs, they've lost their hearing by five, maybe six. And unfortunately, I, I attribute some of that to snow goose hunting because, like you said, I mean, you and I and, and Boss, we go duck hunting and put a good bunch in. And at most, we're going to shoot nine times where you're sitting there with 
six or seven guys in the pit and everybody's got extensions on. I mean, there's three boxes of shells going off every volley. But would you have it any other way though? Like I, no. you, you think about the dog, that dog has lived as far as what a lab is put on earth to do, in my opinion, what they're born to do, Kai and all every dog you've ever ran. I mean, all the way back to Boomer, um, Boomer was yours, right? No, that was Aikens. Ruff no, was Boomer was Aikens. Yeah, Ruff was my first. first. Ruff's, Ruff was yours. Yeah. But all the way back to the days when Boomer and Ruff were getting all the notoriety with all. I mean, they were the two most marketable dogs in the country at one time. I mean, all of those dogs you've ran and and showcased have lived life to the fullest. So the hearing deal sucks, but God, I just don't think Kai would want it any other way. Yeah, absolutely not. And I, I can tell you this, it's going to hurt me probably as much as it's going to hurt him tomorrow morning, opening day teal season to take his, take the young buck. So we've got, we've got two of his sons that we've had at, at our kennel, have Tat Flats kennels. And, uh, Vivian's dog Dash gets the nod for opening day tomorrow. Man, that little sucker looks good. Really? Yeah, he's gonna. They're gonna be pretty sharp. I don't. They're probably fifteen months, maybe, but looking really good. Yellow or black? Vivian's is uh, a yellow male out of Kai, and then mine, Loco, is a black male that's a month and a half younger. So we're gonna take Dash Man tomorrow, and Viv gets to gets to run her dog for the first time, which is. I mean, dude, is a dad. How cool is that? And she came to us and she's like, I want a dog. I mean, she's always loved dogs. I want a dog. I'm like, yeah, babe, you know, we don't really do the, the house dog thing. You know, we have working dogs and all this. She's like, I, I want a dog. So she was young. So for like nine months, she goes to the library at school and checks out all these dog books, training dogs, labs, all this stuff. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So, I mean, what do you do after that? I mean, she put in heck of an effort so we surprised her with with one of kai's pups and uh i just can't wait man watch her especially like in love leaning against a tree running her own dog i mean it's gonna be awesome heck yes i mean i just it's just so cool watching your girls grow up that way and i love the idea of it right and i want you to know how lucky you are to live where you live and I know that your daughters do, you know, they do the pageants, they do a lot of, they do other things, they're in school, but there's something to be said about the life you live, Tony, and where you do it at, because there's a little bit less of the outside influence of so much stuff going on to where when I look at the way that I'm raising my daughter and she loves the outdoors and she, with me with the dove the other day, and we clean all the dove together and she loves it, but she's not at that point yet of that sphere of influence of like, man, I'm, I get to see Tony and my dad. You're, Cause you're in it every day. You're in the, you're in the side by side every day. You got your dogs with you every day. You're at the kennel every day uh, at, at Habitat Flats kennel gun dogs. Uh, you, you are hunting every day. You're, you're dressing the part every day. You're at the lodge every day. So like, that's a really, really, really blessed lifestyle for kids to grow up in. And they might not become a quote unquote professional hunter, but they're getting that background of what, responsibility, accountability, and most of all, respect, compassion for the animals, respect for the resource. And they they get it. They're seeing the land farm. They're seeing sustainability. Like you talk about mowing and putting water on it, and then they're eating the teal after dad did all that work. That, that's just, and then at the same time, you're feeding so many other critters and shorebirds and rabbits and predators and white-tailed deer and eagles and turkeys. I mean, 
I, I hope you understand, and I know you do, and I hope the listeners understand that that is an unbelievable way for those two little girls to get to grow up. So good on you and your awesome wife, Kay. Yeah, man, we're, we're definitely blessed. I don't take it for granted. And I know what you're talking about because, you know, there's there's not much out here. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to get in the tractor with you today, Daddy, or I'm going to go go hunting, or let's go drive the ranger around the farm. Like, absolutely. And then on the flip side, when we go to the lake – they wake up and it's just like overload. I want to go to but I want to go to the dock. I want to go to the pool. I want to go on the boat. I want to go, ah, you know, it's kind of freaking out. <laughs> they get fired up. Do you see them as an 18 year old apprentice guide? I mean, they're already apprentice guide under you or apprentice under, but do you see them getting into it this, that much? Man, I, I don't know. Is it too early to tell? I, I really don't have any idea. Uh, what I want as a dad is they're going to grow up and, you know, get an education or this, that, or whatever. And, you know, boys are going to come into play at some point, maybe if I'm dead, but <laughs> you know, now you sound like me. I think, I think they might get out of it for a few years, but I hope that the foundation that we're laying now and all the fun we're having now, it's, it's such good memories that when life slows down, you know, you, you're, you're past the college years, you've got a job, you're grounded. You come back to it. I hope it's something that they come back to. And in 20 years from now, you know, Christmas Day, we're going to shooting greenheads. Thanksgiving, same thing. We're going and shooting greenheads and coming back for a big family Thanksgiving. You can't ask her one for more than that, Tony. Okay, so we have to cut to another commercial break. But when we return, we'll continue our discussion of parenting, passing on the waterfowl dynasty and tradition and the legacy, and so much more with Tony Vandemore. Stay tuned. Chad, who would you like to thank? Like to thank partners like Benelli and Federal and Mojo and Realtree and Bandit and I'm talking about that feeling of like Avery, Kershaw and Mickey Thompson, Jargon and Gator Coolers. I want a sponsorship from Irish Spring right here, breaking it down. The Provider, Lear Campers, Bodyguard Bumpers, Rigid Lights, Corning Ford and our Ford trucks. Can you imagine? Six Hour. This time of year though, I've been finding myself like craving Yukonuba dog food, Mossy Pond Retrievers, Traeger Grills. It had something else with it right now, and I can't remember. It was. That's what we talked about, getting back to the basics, understanding fundamentals. And who would say that? This podcast has to be the greatest thing ever. The foul life. It's so foul. Like, ew. Not foul like that, like with a W foul. Being in the backyard at camp, being with friends and family, one thing that the pandemic did is it got us back in our backyards. It got us staying home more. And man, we just started doing so many cookouts, so much grilling. And we've been partnered with Traeger Grills for the last decade. And I don't know if you can be more innovative than what this brand has done from the new Timberline XL and the new Flat Rock, the Ironwood 885, all of their pellets, their rubs, their sauces, their glazes, their smash burger kit, you name it. Traeger Grills is awesome. And we use them a ton. I'm sure you've seen it on The Foul Life. You've seen it in our social media. Get creative. Be innovative. Think outside of the box. Wild game, domestic, vegetables, desserts, pizzas. You can do it all on a Traeger grill. And like I mentioned, that Timberline XL with that conduction plate. I'm talking high heat, reverse sear steaks. Anything you want to put on there gets it done in a hurry after you put a little smoke on them on the grill. Transfers right over. So easy. Everything is simplified. You can download the Traeger 
Traeger Grills app. You can find recipes. You can work with pros like Matt Pittman at Meat Church and Chad Ward at Whiskey Bent Barbecue and so many others from across the country to master these recipes. It's simple and that's what Traeger is all about. They did not want your backyard experience to be complex. So when you're thinking of fun and good food and flavor, recipes, thinking outside the box, think no further than Traeger Grills. I can't wait to get back in my Traeger Grill, just cook up something delicious. Thank you all very much. Hey everybody, it's Chad Belling with the Foul Life Podcast. I'm so excited to announce the 2023 Benelli Migration Madness Sweepstakes. From August 1st through October 31st, 2023, go to shoot-on.com. Again, that is shoot-on.com forward slash Benelli Migration Madness for your chance to be entered to win over $15,000 in prizes, including a collection of Benelli Super Black Eagle 3s and 3.5 inch 12 gauge, 3 inch 20 gauge and the new 28 gauge all decked out in the new Realtree Max 7 camouflage pattern. Also included is a $4,000 online shopping spree from our friends at Banded, Greenhead Gear, and Avery Outdoors, plus three cases of ammo for each of the SBE3s from Federal Premium and a pair of Wing Shooter Alpha Shield hearing protection that are valued at over $1,400 a pair. It's the 2023 Benelli Migration Madness Sweepstakes brought to you by our friends at Banded and Federal Premium Ammunition from August 1st to October 31st. Again, go to shoot on.com forward slash Benelli Migration Madness to be entered to win that $15,000 in prizes. I'm Chad Belding. Good luck to everybody. You're on the X, the foul life with Chad Belding and their exclusive waterfowl highlight of Habitat Flats and Mr. Tony Vandemore that's made possible by Yukonuba, Avery Outdoors, and Realtree. So let's get our limit and get back to the action with Chad Belding and Tony Vandemore. Welcome back to today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Belding. We got my good buddy, the waterfowl kingpin himself, Tony Vandemore, on the show today, talking everything duck, goose, habitat, flats, Missouri. So to dip back into our conversation and sentiments before the break about you, I don't know how I would have been if I'd had a boy. I don't know how you'd have been if you had a boy. Would we have put more pressure on a boy to to be the all-star and to, to be hitting bombs and to be in the singlet and taking people down on the mat? And Would it have been different? Now I'm a daddy's you know i'm a uh, a girl dad and just like you are and i want good grades i want respect i want good manners i want organization and cleanliness uh, you know kind of like respect of the hard work of where this stuff comes from we don't take it for granted kind of attitude but i'm waiting for that day to where she comes to me and says hey i'm i'm because when she shot her first duck it was a 410 bull canvas back on a february youth hunt in northern nevada at the canvas back duck club and i'm talking 37 degrees with probably an 18 to 20 mile an hour brisk breeze wind cold and she started crying she was so happy when when my when my good friend les nesbitt's dog pistol brought it back this was all documented and I'm just like, man, I want that feeling again. But she got into volleyball. She got into higher, you know, a little bit older and got into the the sixth and seventh grade. And now there's other things going on on the weekends to where her friends are wanting to hang out. And, and so you just have to, you know, hope that one day she comes back and goes, dad, I'm ready to get back in that duck blind. She'll go every year on the youth hunt. She loves it every day, but she hasn't quite got it to where she's like, I want to go shooting. I want to do, I, I want to get in that country state of mind, as I call it. And, and I'm hoping that one day she's like, yeah, I want to settle back into that and, and do more of that type of stuff. But I've, I'm just like you, I don't put the pressure on it. No. And I mean, I thought I wanted boys. And when we had our first girl after that, I was like, uh, I want another girl. 
And luckily our second one was. And not because I don't necessarily think I would have been harder on a boy. I mean, I know I probably would have been. But even without the pressure of, you know, me telling the son, like, let's go. Let's go. We got to practice. We got to go hit baseball. We got to blow duck calls. No, you'd be completely chill. Your son, completely chill. You'd be totally chill with him. But there's pressure from other people. I mean, you walk into Walmart, it's like, hey, man, can you call as good as your dad yet? Or can you hit a baseball as far? Or this. And maybe maybe he just wants to be a doctor, for crying out loud. Like, something really cool. Uh, I'd be afraid of the the outside pressure if it would have boys. Yeah, me too. I, was, I, I think about the outside pressure. I think about – both of my brothers have have boys, all athletes, and one of them's twelve now. And you're thinking like, well, does he have a shot, or do we need to get him into year round baseball? And how many how many games should he play with travel ball every year? But should we let him play basketball and golf? And should he be a multi sport athlete? And and how many how much money are we going to invest in every year of going to every tournament in the West United States, thirteen states out here? For I mean, we just sent him to regionals three weeks ago. I think he hit seven ninety with like nine balls off the wall, you know. And I'm and 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 I'm so proud of him. But then you're like. Well, then you go to California and then you go to Florida and you go to Texas and you see how much talent's out there. You got, you got to really put it into perspective of you got to let sports and athletics and that discipline do what it's supposed to do and not put it like you're going to be the next Bryce Harper and you're going to draw, you know, you're going to do what Bryce did. I mean, it's a once in a lifetime story to, to do what that kid did and to achieve the status and the MVPs and the, the income and the salaries that he's making and good on him. But you're right. That outside pressure of making it. And then you add on top of that. Now the social media to where everybody's an all-star, right. And, 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 and that, so there's just all of this influence coming in to where if I'd have had boys, I'd have been, and I, and trust me with girls, you, you got to stay on it. I don't want a bunch of, outside influence coming in on Alyssa and I'm sure you don't either but that was my point is where you live if people got to experience that could it get boring if you let it if you let it if you went from the city to there boy but when when I'm living in that environment boy that is like that's God's plan right like that is what you want to be doing so yeah that outside influence I think about it a lot and if I'd had a boy I'd have been like man I probably would have been on him a little bit kids 100% need to be on teams and experience that and bond and do all that. They 100% need to win and lose. Nobody needs participation awards and all that. You need to feel what it's like when you win. You need to feel what it's like when you lose. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care if you're eight years old or 18, you still have a very micro fraction of a percent to go to the major league. Like keep it in perspective and, uh, I don't think there's a lot of people living vicariously through their kids anymore when I go to a ballpark. Yeah, I I think that you're exactly right, Vandemore, in the fact that psychologically and mental, right, you have to prepare people for the other side, too, if it doesn't happen. And then if it does happen, you have to teach people how to prepare for that part of life. Like you could, you very easily could have been somebody that could have got, and I've seen athletes do it a lot. They get down in the dumps. They lose their touch because they're like, where'd baseball go? You went into become an entrepreneur started this business, blue habitat flats up, started doing the snow goose deal, all the stuff that you did in your, in your career. But I have my, I have talks with my daughter because everything she says, Tony, is this. I want to be a D1 volleyball player. I want to be a D1 volleyball player. I want to go to, I want to go to an SEC school and I want to play volleyball on a D1 team. And I'm like, I love the, I love it. I want you to get that competitive edge. I love it. And, and you can do it. 
she's going to be five foot 11. I don't know. You know, we'll have a talk about that later off a microphone where she's getting that. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what if not? And I, I want her to be prepared. Like there's all types of things that sports are going to teach you. And it's going to, and, and just like Michael Jordan said, like, and, and, and in what you do for a living and you got, you have to understand to accept failure first. Failure is a big part of it. And that, and that's what I really teach is that you have to learn how to lose too. You want to be a winner in life, but don't you think, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, so you need to learn how to be humble when you're winning and gracious when you're losing. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I want my kids to ever be is, Humble and kind. Whoever wrote that damn song hit it right on the head. 100%. I, I think that it transitioned into your life and your story very well from a competitiveness to a professional baseball career to not making it to the major leagues. Okay. Like you wanted to be a major league baseball at one time. I would almost bet everything I have that you wanted to be a major leaguer at one time. And when you don't make it, cause I did too. Of course I did. Yeah. You made it higher than I did, but, but man, I look at life like, Good gosh, what did I learn being at a D1 college? What did I learn from that coach that literally called me the biggest recruiting mistake that he ever made, told me that in front of the whole team, and now I'm dear friends with this man. He's 78 years old, my head coach in, in college, and I go, I learned so much. I learned how to network. I learned how to juggle. I learned how to accept defeat. I learned how to accept insults and, and people coming down on me, yeah. and, I, I, and I learned so much more than that to where now me and you are living a life that – Gosh dang, we got to pinch ourselves every day. When when maybe our road was kind of pointing towards, well, we might be an athlete someday or we might be a professional athlete someday. And then all of a sudden we're making our living in the outdoors, which I don't when I tell people what I do, Tony, and I'm sure that you get the same thing, people love the idea of making a living in the outdoors. And it's a lot of work and I'm not sugarcoating it. It's a ton of work, but man, we're lucky. We got lucky. We're blessed that we didn't become professional baseball players because you may have never had Habitat Flats. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. I missed a couple of springs turkey season. That was enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you would have got, if you would have made it to the show, you might not be sitting there with the filled and stream article behind you right now. Speaking of turkeys real quick. I don't know how much time we got, but so Vivian got invited to go to Florida last spring, killing Osceola. Yeah. I've never been to Florida killing. I'm always too busy snuggling something. Well, she got invited and uh, absolutely we're going, you know, kills one. And uh, we actually doubled up. She killed one before I did. <clears throat> and then said, well, hey, we're going to, we're going to keep this thing rolling as long as you want to go. And it was probably the most fun I've had as a dad yet was traveling the country hunting turkeys with my daughter. I mean, eating subways, eating ice cream, staying in hotels. I mean, she's at that age now. It was unreal. Awesome. Grand slam? Yeah, she got she got a grand slam, man. No freaking way. Yeah, I think how second, old is she? She was eight, second youngest in history, I believe. Female. No freaking way. Dude, it was so cool. Did she kill her Eastern in Missouri? Kill her Eastern here at home. Uh got a Rio in southwest Kansas and then uh we were up in Northwest uh, Nebraska up for her Miriam. For Miriam. Yeah, you can say hi. What are you doing? Um, nothing. I'm just chilling out with Dash because he's coming home for teal season tomorrow. First, first month tomorrow, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I hear that you get to run him tomorrow? Yeah, I'm so excited. Well, I want pictures. I want some videos. I want to be able to tag the Vandemore girls on the Instagram when I post one. Hi, cutie. Yes, sir. That's a deal. You promise? Take care of the dogs. Thank you. But one more thing. One more thing. Hey, congratulations, Vivian, on your Grand Slam. I'm learning about it right now. 
That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it was. Yeah. All right, go take care of the dogs. Thank you. Bye, girls. That's so cool. Um, the Miriams, Nebraska one, what kind of weather was it in? Dude, it was um, absolutely garbage. Yeah, wasn't it? Like it was. It was literally blowing, gusting over 50, like a cold, sleety, nasty crap. Like, oh my God. And uh, I knew where we needed to be, but it was brutal. Next day was going to be pretty nice. So I'm like, let's get there about fly down time and just sit there with binoculars and we'll see uh, what's going on. And I'll be able to pop a blind up for the next day, blah, 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 whatever. Long story short, they pitch down this little tight little creek bottom and they sit there for like almost an hour. Hadn't moved. I'm like, well, it's a good thing we're sitting in the truck because they're, they're going to stay out of the wind, not do anything. And uh, about that time, one gobbler and like, 15, 18 hens starts marching up this ridge and I've hunted there before. I know exactly where they're going, but like, they're almost to the top. I'm like, Oh crap. I'm like, Viv, I think we can make a play on this. What do you think? She's like, yeah, let's go. So we haul around the ridge in the truck, barely out of sight, jump out, grab the strutter, run up to big thing of cedars. And we jump in there, stick the strutter out like 10 steps. And we jump in there and the wind's just right in our face. She's right between my legs. I mean, no tripod, no blind, nothing. And she's shaking. She's like, Dad, Dad, I'm cold. I'm like, I know. And I'm looking down. She doesn't even have a jacket on or anything. I'm like, crap, we left all that in the truck. And probably I start calling a little bit. 15 minutes goes by. 20 minutes goes by. I'm like, man, something happened. You know, they saw us. They went the other way, whatever. Can't hear anything. I couldn't hear if they were gobbling or not. It blown so hard. And I'm like, all right, sweetie, you know, just a, just another minute and we'll leave. And about that time, I saw a hen stick her head up over the ridge about 40 yards away. And I was like, oh, uh-oh. And she came over. And as soon as she got to where she could see that strutter, boom, here she comes. And then, boom, here they come. All of them came. And they're like 10 yards away, running circle on this strutter. And finally, like 15, 18 hens at 10 yards. And finally, the gobbler comes over the ridge. And he looks down there. He's like, uh-oh. He comes running down there. And now I'm like, oh, boy. I'm like, you've got to just make sure there's nothing else in the way. <laughs> I mean, she's shaking and going like this. I'm like, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It probably went on, whatever. Seemed like an eternity. I bet, I bet it was over a minute, minute and a half. Finally, the hens kind of started to to go on. And she got a nice opening and killed him. And, man, it was freaking awesome. What was she shooting? Uh, twenty little M220 gauge with a compact stock. God dang. How cool. And that was her grand slam one right there, right? That was her fourth. Yeah, that was her last one. I mean, she lose her mind. Know, setting kids up for success. I mean, I've always had her in a tripod because she can't even hardly hold the thing up. Yeah. You know, her Kansas one was no tripod, just down there between my legs, her holding it on her own. And, and Nebraska was too. I mean, I, that's a proud dad moment. See your kid hold the gun up by herself for the first time and wham. I, I, the reason I asked you about the weather is I had a group of guys up there that I set up with a buddy of mine um, northwest Kansas and the south part of South uh, South Dakota and they said the weather was terrible and then I heard that the bird flu had smoked a bunch of the Miriams up there. Did you did you learn about any of that up there? Man, I didn't. Uh, numbers where we were hunting were pretty good. That said, here at home, I don't think they're they're near what they used to be. Out in Kansas, where we go, definitely not near what they used to be. Florida, whatever, it seemed like they were still pretty good down there. But turkey numbers are on the decline, I believe. We had a good hatch this year. 
it was dry. I mean, hell, we were in extreme drought. We about burn up. I've seen a lot of little turkeys this, this summer. You think it's development, predators? Is it their nests getting busted up? Or is it just too liberal of limits in a lot of states where a lot of the turkeys are being hunted? I mean, I know Georgia lowered their limit. I know Alabama and Mississippi lowered their limit. Tennessee started their season late and lowered their limit. I know that turkey numbers are declining, like you just said, but do you have an issue with reaping? Do you think there's too many different ways that people are killing them today? Like yeah. if it's ethical and legal, go do it, right? I think- Personally, it has to do with with habitat in some way, shape, or form, and predators. I mean, the the great horned owls are killing the hell out of turkeys up in the trees at night. But you know, you look at farming practices today. Farmers are getting pretty darn good. And we were commenting on it this spring. Me and Foods were out in South Dakota and Wyoming, and we actually saw grasshoppers. And we're like, holy crap, grasshoppers! And there's a bunch of turkeys here at home. Man, it's hard to find bugs anymore. I mean, your pesticides are, are very, very lethal. And, you know, there's not much for those little turkeys to eat except bugs early on. And I think that I really feel like that's got a lot to do with it. I mean, you get in areas where, where the bugs are thriving and the turkeys are thriving. And it has to do with habitat, you know, just like the quail. I mean, you'll go some years, everybody, oh, the habitat's gone. The habitat's gone. And it is. It's never going to be like it was 40 years ago fence rows and all that but you catch a year where you can't get into the fields because it's too wet and it grows up fallow or you catch a dry year like this and i mean they they go crazy i mean i've seen more quail this year than than i saw when i was a kid you know we've got good habitat and we had a good hatch and they can come back they can come back but they're uh behind the eight ball yeah out here like you come to california there's there it's the exact opposite that's the 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 orchards, the amount of turkeys in Northern California right now, Southern Oregon, even our flocks here in Nevada. Like when we're not known for a turkey state by any means, I'm not talking numbers like you're used to seeing. California starts, you, there's parts of California that look like a Kansas field now where you see 140 or what's the group of turkeys called? Flock. Is it a flock? I thought there was a different name for a large group. I call them flocks too, but I thought there was another name for turkeys. What? Okay, so- kind of covered the two we covered the snow geese i know that you got into turkeys what an awesome accomplishment with viv and her grand slam at eight years old for a little girl but is it fair to say that mallards are both of our favorite or are we mallard we're not mallard purists but there's nothing like it right at love lake when they when you have a chance to call them and traffic them like that place is amazing but let's just talk about the mallard duck for a minute are you fired up as you've ever been at this stage of your career your age, your your mental, you're a family man, you're a dad now. I know that you still love hunting, but does it, when you stand out against that tree, like so many people see you doing on your social media, and that's what it's all about for you, right? Like, I know the snows are cool, and I know you said you love opening day green wing as much as anything, but come on, Vandemore, be cut us straight. However many days you hunt in a year, whatever it is, I, I don't even know, 150, 80, I, I don't know. However many days you hunt mallards, so... Say you don't travel at all. You get 60 days to hunt them. The other 300 days of the year are spent thinking about those 60. I mean, that's what goes through my head every day, off season, during season, whatever. It's a green hit. Do you think the number one reason for you personally, Tony Vandemore, is because of the vocalizations? Is it talking to them and getting them to respond? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, a step or when you become a man, but... You know, I used to be able to, I used to call everywhere in my 
grandpa's van at my uncle's house in the shower in the house i mean drove my family crazy couldn't call him blind was not allowed to call him blind and it's like a you become a man now when your grandpa and uncles and dad and everybody are sitting there calling you know they're getting on him getting on him and gramps leans over and says you gonna help it's like oh crap all of a sudden your mouth i can't even make a sound <laughs> yeah that's, yeah man that's you know, being able to call a mallard duck is is where it's at for me. How do you know when you got them? When do you know that you got them? I know that anything can happen and you can lose them, but Love Lake is a really cool thing because you're on record of saying that they don't eat there, they don't sleep there. It's like running traffic every day from the refuge to the feed, from the feed back to the refuge. They're traveling in a lot of big numbers. It's a lot of follow the leader to where you got to cut them and you got to get on them and you you and Bloss both blow a, sh- a cut down style call. It sounds weird when you're up close and then the further you get away and then on video, I'm like, holy shit, that sounds like mallard ducks. Like it's it's more of like a choppy, It's it's a, you guys have a, a style that's not like regular whether it's arkansas style hunting and i know a lot of people use the cut down in the flooded timber now but you come out west and you don't hear that at all you don't hear that in california you don't hear that in kansas you don't hear that in on the yellowstone river in montana or this the platte river in nebraska wyoming you don't hear that it's awesome though right like how do you know when you got them can you tell like they just like that. You just, for lack of better terms, like our, our good friend, Fred Zink. And I know we both know what Freddie's going through right now. Freddie, we're thinking about you, but they do you just kind of like paralyze them. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously when you're hunting your home turf, you know, which side of a tree that bunch needs to come on for you to have a chance or, you know, what line they need to take to have a chance. Like, ah, that bunch is on the wrong side of the tree. Save your air. You don't even, don't even call at them, but you get a bunch lined up in your zone. As soon as you hammer on that thing, one of them whips that old head around and checks up. I mean, you've heard it. You lean down the blind and say, got him. <laughs> and then here they come. I hope people are understanding what I'm saying and what me and your our dialogue is about right now right now, Tony. I don't know in life, and I and I get it, trust me. Please don't think that I don't understand what you described with Vivian and the turkeys and your kids. And I get that part of life and it's the best. Just seeing your two daughters run up and say, yes, sir. And how polite, like that is what life is all about. But I don't know if there's a better feeling, even the birth of your kids. <laughs> when, when What happens of what you just described when you're looking up like that and mah, mah, and just shh, and you know, like, oh, my gosh, like they're losing their air. They're we're, they're losing their air. We're losing our mind. And you're just like, we're not old, but we're not kids in Christmas anymore. And it takes me back to that every single time of that cookie out for Santa Claus or getting open that one gift or going to midnight mass at the church and coming home and getting open one present on Christmas Eve and just, oh my gosh, when's Santa going to get here? When's Santa going to get here? And it's like Beavis and Butthead, man. You're just like, and you're just like that. It still does that. Does it? I mean, I don't, I don't know if anything else in life that does that to a grown man or woman. We're like a bunch of damn kids in that blind. Like, you know, when, when me and you and Bloss are in there, we're looking out of that blind and that line kind of to the left, I mean, they're coming and they're you're screaming at them. You're leaning out of the front of the blind, about to fall out, and they're about out of sight. And you can't hardly see them anymore. And then you might catch the tail one go like that. And somebody said, "Got yeah. them." And we're all looking around like, "Oh shit, which side of the blind? Excuse me, which side of the blind? <laughs> they right, they coming left. They coming over the back." 
And it's just like, where are they at? Where are they at? And then boom, they make that big hook out front. I just love that, that suspicion of love Lake when you're in that blind or where you stand on your tree, that suspicion. And when you're in the tree, you can obviously you have way more visual, but when you're in that blind, it's like, Oh my gosh, we, we really did get them. We were there here and they lost a lot of air in a freaking hurry. And it's like when they're over Love Lake, it's not like they're going to circle eight times. Like they're putting boots down a lot of the times. Once you do break them, there's not going to be a whole bunch of just spins checking out the decoy, at least from what I've seen yeah. there. You know, my personal hunting, I, that place is so neat because of the blind placement and because of that entire visual of, and that stimulation of, we got him. We got him. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we really do have them. There's 40 mallard ducks, literally 40 yards from us. And they're about to be 15 yards from us before Bloss calls the shot. And without calls and decoys, they wouldn't be anywhere remotely close to landing on that water. I mean, that's the cool thing. And they, you're you're making them come somewhere they don't want to be. Everything that you've described on today's podcast, from the kids to the farming to the anticipation to blue wing teal, the spins of the snow geese, everything that you've talked about is awesome. It's life. It's the, the duck groceries. Everything you described gets me jacked. But there's something about the success of a mallard doing it that has ruined my life, if that makes sense. Like, I might as well be addicted to drugs, Tony Vandemore, or a gambler. I might as well be living the worst lifestyle in the world because all, like what you said, like uh, we merely exist in a duck's world, which I say all the time, like they control at least a part of my life every single day of the year. They've ruined a lot of lives, but I'll tell you <laughs> what, it's, it's been a blessing because I, I mean, I, ever since I can remember, I mean, I've thought about ducks 365 days a year. I mean, what do you think about ducks, ducks, ducks? Well, it got so bad that it drove me to a point of what can I do to make this something that I really get to work on 365 days a year and not just dream about. And uh, I mean, it set the path for, for me and my life and pretty thankful for the old green head. I think that what you just described is exactly how you pinpoint your path in life from the baseball player to the father, to the, the, the entrepreneur, to the businessman, a mallard duck has, it, it will ruin you in ways to where you'll go to the end of the world to do it. You'll like skip your birthday party to go hunting. I've done it a lot of times because my birthday's in the fall and I've skipped my birthday party and said, Hey, I'm not going to be home. I'm still in Alberta. Sorry. They're just, it's just too good. I'm sorry. Like people say, well, you're old, too old to have a birthday party. Well, we still throw down a little bit, you know, but I, I've skipped many of, of events. And now, you know, going back to our, our, our children and, and how we're raising our daughters. Now she's of that age to where, there ain't no more skipping events. There's no more skipping volleyball tournaments. There's no more, there's no more like you, you have pageants. I don't know if you go to every one, but now we're like, Hey, it's go time. That's what you don't get that back. You know what I mean? So it's like these things in life to where a mallard duck, you got to balance it out. And then you describe your success and your entrepreneurial spirit and your, how, how lucrative Habitat Flats became and how, how there's a payoff there every single day because you get to give back to conservation. You get to give back to the duck. You get to give back to your clients. You get to employ people and pay people to work. And it was because one, you took a risk, but two, it's because the mallard duck was telling you like there's something here tony there's something in these bottoms here there's something you know it's almost like that voice in kevin costner's field of dreams <laughs> and i'm sure you've heard that vandemore being the baseball guy but something was telling you the duck gods were telling you build it and the mallards will come to love lake 
That's a crazy feeling. Yeah, it is. I mean, what's crazy is, you know, Aaron, Ira, Dan, you know, the four of us started to have to have flats, and we've, we've all got it. I mean, think about the friendships that a Mallard Duck has formed. I mean, man, best friends I've gotten, buddies out of hunt with. You know what I mean? And uh, some of the best memories I have with my family and my, now my grandfather is no longer here because of a Mallard Duck. I mean, it can be a ruination, but it can be the biggest blessing life can ever give you. There's no better place in the world to get to know somebody than the Duck Blind. Or duck camp. I should just say duck camp. Yep. What goes on within the walls of your home lodge is what life is all about. That's strangers. There's, you know, a group comes in and they, you know, three of them might be best friends, but a couple new ones might have got invited on this year's trip. Then they meet another group that's there at the same time and they're breaking bread and then they're eating together. Then they're talking the next day over a beer saying, how, what, how'd you do today? What, you know, what do you want to go shoot some sporting? Well, you know, whatever it is. And then they're staying in touch and they're networking and then they're trying to get the same dates to be in camp at Habitat Flats the next season. And you're, you're right. There's just no better. There, golf's cool but i'm too pissed off at a golf course walking around it shooting 100 strokes over par to form a friendship you know what i mean like duck hunting is so therapeutic and so meditation like for my soul that you're you're, you drop every barrier you have your walls are down you love talking to people you know what i'm talking about The, the shyest person in the world after an hour in a duck camp or in a duck pond is gonna be just just talking like like it's nothing I mean, it's, it is, man. It's meditating. It's relaxing. It's there's nothing like it. And, and you said it earlier at the very beginning of this. This is the best time of the year. Oh. I love summer. Like you described the boat and getting Alyssa and friends out on the lake and tubing and wake surfing and barbecuing on the deck. I love it all. I love 4th of July. I love America. I love it all. But man, there is this time of year when those leaves turn and you know that Halloween's getting ready to come and you got the mallards on their way down and, and you got thanksgiving and you got family remember we we celebrated thanksgiving two years ago together at your house there's just nothing better than that you just don't get that back man i mean teal season i love it absolutely love love hunting teal but probably the best day for me is the first day it's cool enough in the year to put a flannel shirt on and take a ride and look at the wells pumping and look at the ducks showing up and dude no no question the best time of year I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I have a hot cup of coffee, a wet dog. My daughter's going to be standing with me. We're going to shoot limited teal. We're going to go back to the lodge. We're going to eat. We're going to watch Notre Dame beat up on NC State. It's going to be an awesome day. Oh, and it's my, it's Kate's birthday. Tomorrow. You got a surprise party for her? Yeah, I just hope it's not in the morning because we're going to be teal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way. To- oh, she's she pretty She's pretty awesome, man. She's got it rough. Her birthday is always like on opener or right, right, pretty close during teal season. Right about when you when you know you're going to be in the blind. You get you get married. You better find. You better have the right one, or it's not going to last very long. Trust me. If you hunt ducks, yeah, you got to have the right one. Well, especially when you're hunting ducks every single day of the season. Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. Tony, thanks for being on, my man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, buddy. Will you please send me a picture of your teal tomorrow with Vivian holding one up with her dog? Absolutely. When are you swinging through this fall? I'm going to be in Kansas in December. Maybe I can run over there then. I'll get you some dates and see what you're going to be doing. Yeah. It should be a fun year, man. All our, our guys are up at uh, our Saskatchewan Lodge now. and Man, the ducks are everywhere. Yeah, I've been hearing the same thing from Alberta and Saskatchewan. Also, 
because of you, I want to let everybody know because of Habitat Flats and one of Tony's guides, Matt Williams, I met a guy named Nick McNamara at Basswood Lodge in upstate New York. And because of the trip we took to upstate New York, we were able to hunt Canada geese in the molt migration in September of 2022 with some FDNY firefighters. I sent you and Kate the info, Tony, but I want you to watch Monday night, September 11th. So a few days from now, September 11th, 2023, we have a one hour special called have we forgotten that's going to air on the outdoor channel this episode has friends that just made friends friends that have been losing friends these firefighters are losing they've lost 350 firefighters to the cancers and diseases of ground zero since 9-11 tony we're paying homage to the firefighters our friends toby keith came onto the show and said some words about this and he let us use his song courtesy of the red white and blue that he wrote the day after 9-11 our good friend daryl warley came on tony vandemore and let us use have you forgotten that he wrote in 2003 about 9-11 um, we have so many good friends that blessed us by coming onto this show ted nugent donald trump jr you name it they came on and they talked about where they were that day what 9-11 meant and how we can still keep it in our memories. People need to learn about 9-11. They need to know what happened that day. We can't erase history. It's not even in our school's curriculum in most states. I know that it's not in California or Nevada where we're out here west. And I think it should be. So we're going to air this 7 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Eastern, Tony Vandemore, three hours, back to back to back. Have we forgotten? It's a one-hour special that we hunted with these guys. Because of you and us going to Habitat Flats, we met this crazy son of a you-know-what named matt williams that is the best dude to ever hunt with he's the best <laughs> he's crazy but nick's an awesome awesome dude oh nick nick he's came out and hunt with us several times came out and helped hunt and all. i mean man great dude great hunter i like to get up there at his place shoot those geese but getting way is hard well come up there with me i'm going to be there the 18th through the 25th of this month fly up there for a couple days yeah Freaking great place up there, but I've got teal season ends the 24th, and then I'm heading up to our Saskatchewan Lodge probably 25th, 26th. Yeah, you'll be, I'm, I'm up there the 18th through the 25th, but thanks to Tony, his guide, Matt Williams, Matt helps Nick up there. We got to go up there and put it all into perspective, then got to go down to Manhattan and film Ground Zero and film in the Queens Firehouse and learn about the Hodge brothers, Jim and Bo. And this story is going to be told Monday night, September 11th. I want you to tune in, Tony, and Tell me what you think about it, please. Yep, you got it, buddy. That's the great Tony Vandemore of the great. You got to get to Habitat Flats. It's the destination every duck hunter wants to get to. Snow goose hunters in the spring, but man, I'm telling you, you you you, you can't relive a day like you get to experience at Love Lake. You, if I could tell you one thing, as a waterfowl hunter, you have to hunt Love Lake, even if you only kill four of them, which you're not going to most days. You're going to smoke them. But I'm telling you, you got to have one day under your belt at Love Lake at Habitat Flats. Now, I don't know if everybody that goes to Habitat Flats gets one day. I don't know how Tony schedules it, but I assume that you probably got a good chance of at least getting in that blind one of your three days at Habitat Flats. Is that fair to say, Tony? Yeah, we tried. I mean, every, what's cool about Habitat Flats, we've got so many different options to make your head spin. So you hunt something different every day. Every day. It's really, really neat. You get to see different terrain, different types of habitat different blinds and we've got 70 some blinds so it's pretty cool wow what a place get the habitat flats i hope you guys got to catch the episode that we did at habitat flats it was called sweat equity because of exactly what we've talked to tony vandemore for for so many years but that was cool seeing that old footage and and, and reliving it huh man a lot of good memories field and freddie and everybody 
been a hell of a ride. I know that. People say time flies and it truly does. Yeah, it flies. Because it seems like just yesterday, you and I were in, in Memphis and uh, we were in Tunica, Mississippi on the Memphis, yeah, Memphis, Tennessee border, Mississippi. That was 2005, Vandemore. We were there. Billy Bloss and I were talking about that today. Yeah, that was a blast. 2005. Alan and everybody. That was so much fun. Travis. Oh God. We were in the swimming pool that day. That was, that was a, that was a freaking blast. 2005, dude. We've known each other since 2004. We're going on 20 years. We're getting old. Ah, Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Bloss is old. Tell Bloss I said that. Absolutely. (laughs) Tony, thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. We're ending it with Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of the Foul Life Podcast brought to you by the one and only Benelli USA. I want to say it again right now. We got to say this before we get off. Migration Madness until October 31st. You need to get them over to shoot dash on forward slash Benelli Migration Madness and sign up for that $15,000 in prizes, including that collection of Super Black Eagle 3s and 12-gauge, 20-gauge, and the new 28-gauge all decked out in Realtree Max 7. Get over there and sign up. You might as well. It's uh, awesome. There's other prizes from a bunch of our different partners, including Federal Premium, Banded, Tetra. We're on it. We hope you the best. Good luck with it. It's Benelli Migration Madness 2023. You have until October 31st to sign up. Hope you guys get to do that. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Fat Life Podcast with the great Tony Vandemore. I'm Chad. Hit me that picture tomorrow, and that'll remind me to wish Kate a happy birthday. The Foul Life. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I'm here to tell you right now. What I say is what I say. Potatoes and... No, I didn't say that at all. People are going to think I'm an idiot. The Foul Life with Chad Belding will continue after this word from our partners. Because they make us do it in order to still be partners. (laughs) So, here it is. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Bandit, the ultimate choice for hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. From top-of-the-line hunters, jackets to ultra comfortable meticulously crafted waders bandit has everything you need to take your outdoor game to the next level their gear and innovations are anything but average designed to give you the edge you need to succeed but it's not just their gear that makes bandit stand out bandit accessories like their backpacks blind bags gun cases and more are built to withstand anything the outdoors can throw at you head to bandit.com and experience the difference for yourself choose bandit and dominate the outdoors like never before the foul life there you have it folks another episode of the foul life podcast benelli thank you so much for believing in myself as well as tony vandemore we've been on team benelli for over a decade actually 13 years now and there's more to come we're just getting started i just i think talking to tony is it it gets me so fired up with the anticipation of the season because i know all the sweat equity and elbow grease that this man and his crew at habitat flats are putting in on a daily basis, whether it's farming, whether it's conservation, whether it's building blinds, getting decoy rigs ready, ice eaters ready for the cold months, the boats. There's just so much that goes in to being 100% capacity full every single day of their season there in Missouri. So congratulations to Tony, his entire crew, all of his partners at Habitat Flats. What a success story. Living the American dream in the duck world. I call it the duck show there. You get a chance to hunt Love Lake. Holy smokes. There's not many places in america or anywhere else i've ever been on a waterfowl hunt that compares to love lake at habitat flats got a lot of cool podcasts coming up new episodes new guests new topics i hope y'all are enjoying it we have terry denman coming up next next week you're going to hear terry denman the founder and owner of the one and only mojo 
outdoors. If it ain't magic, it's mojo. Terry Demon will follow up Tony Vandemore. I hope you all enjoyed that. Again, Tony, thank you. Thank you, Benelli. And thank you all for listening to another awesome episode of the Foul Life Podcast. <laughs>